This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. We chose uh, the reading there from uh, the opening verses of John chapter 6, the Gospel record by John. We could quite easily have looked at uh, the other three Gospels and read it from there as well. Because this miracle, this phenomenal miracle, is the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. So obviously it's therefore a very important message, I would suggest, and as we embark during this month, as, as Ian's already said, uh, on miracles of Jesus, we see this one perhaps as being one of the prime miracles, because it's told to us in four Gospels. Each of the Gospel writers shows us a slightly different picture, and by that I don't mean that they contradicted one another by any means, they actually complement one another. So some of the Gospel writers add things that others don't, so that when we look at them all, and we're going to take extracts from all four Gospels on this miracle, we'll see a complete picture. I'm sure Bible critics will say, well, come on, feeding thousands of people, so many with so little, this is a fairy story, isn't it? Well, we don't believe it is a fairy story at all. There's a realism about this story, that comes over from the conviction that the writers had. And I hope we'll see that this afternoon. Two of those writers, Matthew and John, of course, were two of the twelve disciples. So they would be participants in the miracle. They would be there. They would be direct witnesses of this miracle. The other two, Mark and Luke, well, I don't know. They could have been in the crowd that witnessed. They could have been the fo- amongst the followers of Jesus, amongst the thousands. We don't know. It's believed that uh, Mark's gospel, Mark's record, in fact reflects uh, the thoughts of Peter, Simon Peter, and his recollection of the events. If that were the case, then obviously Simon Peter was there as one of the twelve, and would be a direct participant in this miracle, and would relate it to Mark, or perhaps Mark was there. Luke, I can't tell you, I don't know whether Luke was there or not, uh, or whether he learnt about this miracle from others, But of course we also believe that all four were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words. So let's start. We'll start, first of all, in Matthew's Gospel. Um, And we can read there, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there to a deserted place by himself. Heard what? Well, we need to go back. And I'm going to read for you. You can look it up if you wish. In Matthew chapter 14, just a few verses prior to this. Just put it into context. We can read from verse 10 of Matthew 14. It says, So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. Now he, in that instance, is Herod. And he sent for John, John the Baptist, that is, and beheaded him. Verse 11. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples, John's disciples, came and took away the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. So it's with that background that this miracle takes place. And you can just imagine, can't you, that Jesus, learning about the death, the execution of John the Baptist, remembering that John was related to Jesus, they were half-cousins, their mothers were cousins anyway, Elizabeth and Mary. So John Baptist and Jesus were half-cousins. It was a family member. 
And no doubt, and we know that uh, Jesus held John in high regard as a prophet. So not only was he a relative, but he was a prophet. And, uh, and Jesus no doubt would have been upset. I think that's an understatement perhaps. Um, he would want to withdraw, wouldn't he? Perhaps to reflect, to mourn or whatever. And so we see him here in that opening uh, verse in ch- verse 13. Jesus departed from there to a deserted place by himself. I think in the author, I'm, I'm quoting here from the New King James Version, by the way, rather than just the King James Version. The King James Version says he departed in, into a desert place. It's not a contradiction, it's just a different language. Um, a desert place implies a wilderness, it implies no vegetation. It's not what the King James Version means. A desert place just means deserted. It means uh, that it was a lonely place, it was away from towns and cities, and we can read in John, well we've read in John, that it was on a mountainside that Jesus departed into a deserted place. He wanted to be on his own, didn't he? But look, when the multitudes, we're continuing to read now uh, in verse 14, when the multitudes heard it, they followed Jesus on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. So despite his own feelings, he had compa- compassion on those that followed him. But now I'm switching to Mark, and Mark chapter 6, and Jesus said to them, Come aside, and he's talking to his disciples now, by yourselves to a deserted place, to a lonely place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not, did not even have time to eat. They were rushing about so much, they'd forgotten all about eating. Um, so they departed, that's Jesus and his disciples, to this deserted place, and they went by boat. They went by boat across Galilee, across the top end of Galilee, on their own, to be on their own. But look, we read now from Luke's Gospel, Jesus took them, his disciples, and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So now we know the location. Luke tells us it was Bethsaida. Uh, and there you see a picture of the uh, the plain of Bethsaida. Uh, it's not a desert place. It's, it's uh, full of vegetation. But it was a, a lonely place. There were no cities. Bethsaida was the nearest town. But it was a little bit away away from the town where they went. But then we read from Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 6 and verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing. So they saw them setting off in the boat. And many knew him and ran there from on foot from all the cities. So they ran around the lake and they arrived before them and came together to him. So now you've got a picture, haven't you, of what's happening. And if we look at a map there and we see the Sea of Galilee, uh, we can see there, here we are, Bethsaida. So Jesus, we don't know where he went from, possibly from uh, Capernaum. Uh, He went by boat across there and into this plain before Bethsaida. But the multitude, wherever they came from, maybe right from Tiberius, I don't know, right around, and they ran around the lake, and they got there before him. So there you have this sort of picture that's described to us <coughs> through the Gospel writers. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we read that Jesus had obviously been preaching to them from the hillside to this multitude. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came, the twelve disciples came, and said to Jesus, Send them away. Why? That they may go into the country and lodge and get provisions. For we are in a deserted place here. There was, there was no shops, there was nowhere to buy anything, there was no markets. 
Uh, and clearly what's happened here is that the people in their hurry to run around to see Jesus hadn't taken any food with them. That, that becomes apparent. And so the, the twelve are saying to him, well, let's send them all away now. They're going to get hungry and faint. They need to get provisions. John tells us a little bit more now. He tells us uh, we've just seen where they are, Bethsaida in Galilee. And John tells us when it happened. John says, in John 6 and verse 4 onwards, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. So we now know the time, not just the location, but the timing of this event. And that is also, I think, quite important to give us validity to this story. Because it's springtime. Bear that in mind. It's springtime. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. He sees a great multitude coming toward him. And he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Why, Why does he say it to Philip? Why does he single Philip out of all the twelve to say, where, Philip, can we go and buy bread? But he only said it anyway to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Why, Philip? Well, we read in John chapter 1, verse 44, when Philip is called as his disciple, it says Philip was from Bethsaida. It's also the city of Andrew and Peter. He's using local knowledge. Again, it adds a little bit to the validity of the story, doesn't it? That uh, he's calling on Philip. It's local knowledge. Philip, where can we go now? Because they're near to this city of Bethsaida. Where can we go and get some food for all these people? And Philip answers him. We're in John chapter 6 again, where we read. Philip says, answered him, 200 denarii a worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. 200 denarii. Uh, a denarius we know was a day's wages for a workman so we're talking about 200 days work days wages here so it's a lot of money that Philip's talking about <coughs> 7 months something like that 7 months wages and, and Philip says that's not sufficient You know, 7 months wages is not sufficient to buy enough bread that each may have not a lot, a little so there's, there's a double emphasis there Seven months' wages is not sufficient to buy enough bread, and also that they may have just a little. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, same city is from Bethsaida, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Well, that's pretty much a, an understatement, isn't it, really? A barley loaf, by the way, is the cheapest form of bread. It's the basic bread. It's not a fancy loaf or anything like that. Uh, barley, barley loaves were cheap, uh, inexpensive uh, food. And two fish, well not two fish, two small fish. So we've got here the basis of uh, a, a basic meal, that's all it was, of barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, that's going to feed all these people, so it says. But Jesus says, going back to Mark chapter 6 now, so we keep flitting about, as I said, between the Gospel writers because they give the fuller picture. And Jesus commanded them to make them all sit down on the grass. No, not the grass, the green grass. Why does Mark say it's green grass? We just learnt from John's Gospel, it was Passover, it was springtime. That's where the, the grass would be greenest. It wasn't a desert place, remember, a deserted place. There was plenty of grass for them to sit down on. So again, it adds to the truth of the story, doesn't it? When you read little bits like that, the green grass. 
So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. So they, didn't, they weren't just a rabble spread about like that. That might have been difficult, more difficult to feed in that way. He makes them sit down in ranks and companies in fifties and in hundreds so that food could be distributed a little bit e more easily. A little bit like you sat out there in, in ranks. It's easier to distribute the food like that than it would be if you were milling about. And then, again in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. His twelve disciples now distributed this food amongst all, those, all the multitude. And the two fish he divided among them all. And look what it says in Mark's Gospel. So they all ate, all of them that were in the multitude, and were filled. Not just a little bit, not just a little snack. It says they all of them ate and they were filled to the full. Just from these, this small basic meal. We also note, I would add here, that there was no discrimination on the part of Jesus. He didn't say to his disciples, hang on, that lot over there, don't feed them, they're not with us. They're Samaritans, we don't, no, we don't want them. Do not feed those. Don't feed those. They're Gentiles. We're only going to feed the Jews. Didn't say that at all. He fed them all. No discrimination whatsoever. And that is the hallmark of the Lord Jesus. Not only feeding them with physical food, but also with spiritual food. That his word, the spiritual food, <coughs> is available to all. Not just a select few. Everybody can avail themselves of the food of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what? Well, not only was there sufficient from all this, from this small meal, to feed the thousands, the multitudes, but they actually took up 12 baskets uh, of the fragments and of the fish, the fragments of bread and fish, one basket for each disciple. Not sure how big those baskets were. That uh, picture gives an impression that it might be a very big basket. I think the Greek word is one which implies a sort of a shoulder basket, so it may not have been <coughs> quite as big as that, but nonetheless... Each disciple took a basket and filled it with the fragments of the food that was left. And it's Matthew's Gospel. All the other three Gospels tell us there were 5,000 men. Matthew tells us something slightly different. He adds to it. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So when we talk about feeding the 5,000, it's perhaps a, a mistitle, really. It's a misnomer. Uh, there weren't 5,000. I mean, even Matthew says there were only about, about 5,000 men. He doesn't say exactly. But he adds, besides women and children. So how many were there there in the multitude? Not feeding the 5,000 here. It's many, many more, I would suggest. If there were wives of the men, then perhaps there were 5,000 women. 10,000. If there was just one child amongst them per family, then there would be 15,000 people, possibly. If it's a family of, standard family, man, woman, two children, well, maybe there was 20,000. I don't know, and I'm not even trying to guess how many there were, other than the fact that there were more than 5,000, is the point I'm trying to make. The fact that Jesus could feed far more than 5,000 people with so little... Is the, major, is the miracle that's been told to us here. 
But it doesn't matter how many there were. It doesn't matter whether there were 5, 15, 20, 25,000. It doesn't matter. Because I believe that Jesus could feed the whole world. If the whole world had been on that mountainside, Jesus would feed them with physical food. But more importantly, he, fed, he feeds the world with spiritual food. And yet, despite that, we're going to go to Mark chapter 8. If you want to turn to it with me, or I'll just read it to you. We're going to read a little bit more than that. Despite this quite phenomenal miracle, the disciples still had doubts. Well, no surprise there. This was typical of the disciples throughout the ministry of Jesus, where they must have seen so many miracles, um, and yet <coughs> they still failed him. They still doubted. It's human nature, and I'm not suggesting we would be any different either. But look what happens. Um, it's Mark chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 14. This is another occasion now. It's after the feeding of the 5,000. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then Jesus charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they, the disciples, reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. They'd forgotten to take any food with them. Uh, and they thought Jesus was uh, implying this, that they'd not taken any food. But verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Well, no, they didn't. They forgot, didn't they, what had happened. He continues in verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said unto him, twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, because the miracle was repeated in many ways, after this he fed uh, another 4,000 plus, uh, but this time with, with seven loaves and a few fishes. Verse 20. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Large baskets. Jesus says and they said seven so he said to them how is it you do not understand how short the memory of his disciples how short our memories are too with human nature he just performed this incredible miracle of the 5,000 feeding 5,000 plus should I say and 4,000 plus <clears throat> they didn't remember that they forgot and this is where we see some bible echoes uh, it's quite amazing really when you look at the Bible and, and how things repeat themselves and we call them Bible echoes back in Exodus chapter 16 we see here the children of Israel uh, they've come out of Egypt with Moses Moses has led them out of, um, out of Egypt and they're now in the wilderness the deserted place similar sort of environment uh, again I don't mean a desert a barren desert they were wandering about in the wilderness there was vegetation there, uh, but they were far from cities and, and towns. They're in the wilderness. And we can read, I'll just read the verse prior to this one that you see on the screen. It's in verse 3 of chapter 16. The children of Israel said to them, that's to Moses, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of the, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then we can read from the screen, verse 4. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. They've got short memories, haven't they, the children of Israel? They'd obviously forgotten that they were slaves in Egypt and the hard taskmasters. Now they're saying, Oh, we want to go back to Egypt. This desert place, this deserted place, there's no food for us here. And God said, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And verse 31 of this same chapter. And the house of Israel called its name, this bread from heaven, manna. It was white, it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. They recalled, we're now looking at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 5 and 6, they recalled, yeah, they remembered the good things. They don't remember all the bad things about Egypt. We remember the fish, they said, which we ate, we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, and now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Short memories, of, as we've said, about their slavery in Egypt. And then again in Numbers chapter 11, they say to them, say to Moses, who will give us meat to eat? The manna was like coriander seed. The people went about and ground, gathered it and ground it, cooked it in pans, they made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil, it tells us. But they, get, they got sick of it. They got sick of this manna. They weren't grateful that God had rained bread from heaven for them. And again in the Psalms, as it's recalling this time of the children of Israel in the wilderness, they tested God uh, in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? So we see this echo going back. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Well, Jesus did exactly that in a deserted place near Bethsaida. He prepared a table in that deserted place so they all were able to eat. So we see these Bible echoes again. And Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us this, that God humbled you, that's the children of Israel, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that. Here's the important message that uh, he gave to the children of Israel. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So we see going forward now a similar situation, not just in the feeding of the 5,000, but the Lord, when the Lord began his ministry, of course he was 40 days in the wilderness tempted, 40 days without food, and he's tempted by the tempter saying, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus' reply, he replied with exactly the words that you see in red on the screen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So you see this, um, these Bible echoes across the whole of Scripture, how they all come together. And, and we see something similar now, after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, in John chapter 6. Now we're seeing later on in that chapter, which we can read, John chapter 6. Uh, well, I'm going to read a few verses from it before this uh, verse that you see on the screen. It's straight after the story that John recounts of the feeding of the uh, multitudes. In verse 22 of John 6, it says on the following day. So it's the day after Jesus has fed the multitude. As short a time as that. And what does he say? Or what do the people say to him? Verse 
Verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say unto you, because they were following him once again. Most assuredly I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labour for the food which perisheth, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And then they say these words that you see on the screen. Therefore the people said to Jesus, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they can remember the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness, how God gave them bread from heaven, this manna. They couldn't even remember what happened the day before when Jesus fed the multitudes with five loaves and two fishes. That's how fickle they were, and we've seen how fickle the disciples were too um, in, in their response. Jesus said to them, we're going on in, jump, in verse 35 now, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So now Jesus is not just talking about physical food. He's talking about the word of God and how he was able to feed the whole world through God's word. But it wasn't just the bread of life. Jesus said many I am statements. The other I am statement he said in John, John chapter 8 now, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Not only would they be fed, but they would not walk in darkness if they believed in him. And then again, in John chapter 9, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I think there's an implication there that suggests that when Jesus was on the earth, he was that light, and they could see him. But as long as I am in the world, I am, I am the light of the world. I think the implication is that when Jesus is not in the world, as he's not now, then he's no longer the light. I mean, in a physical sense. We cannot see the Lord Jesus in a physical sense. But what he does say to us, in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world, and he's talking to all those who would be his disciples, all Christians, which we hopefully aspire to be. You're the light of the world, yet, Lord, yet let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. And so there is a commission towards ourselves, to Christians, that we follow the Lord Jesus by feeding people, maybe physically, but more importantly in a spiritual sense. That we feed God's word, the gospel, particularly the gospel of the kingdom to come. And so if we go back to Matthew's gospel now in chapter 25... We can see there that uh, Jesus now is talking about the coming kingdom of God on the earth, which he will establish when he returns. And he's talking about those who will be saved and those who will not be saved. And there's an interesting few verses which we read quite frequently, don't we, I think. Uh, and I'll just read some more words other than those on the screen. We're going to read from verse 34 of chapter 25. 
Sorry, I'll find it in a second. <coughs> Here we are. Um, then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, he separated the sheep from the goats. This is coming into the kingdom. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from, from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me food, Jesus says. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And he goes on. But the righteous say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? Or when did we see you stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then we read those words on the screen. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So there is a commission that we have to be the light of the world, i.e. preaching the gospel, but we also have to feed other people, whether that be physically or in a spiritual sense. Um, there is always something that we can contribute towards. We can always help other people. Do good unto all men, Paul writes in one of his epistles. And this is what the commission towards is. So if there's a lesson from the feeding of the multitudes of 5,000 plus, I would suggest this is the lesson that we should take. Not just to witness the miracle or hear about the miracle, but what we have to do going forward. That we have to help other people. And I just want to finish with... Uh, a, word, a verse that comes before that which Andrew finishes uh, talked this morning about if we do, if we are faithful and follow the Lord Jesus and his commandments uh, by grace of course not through our own merits but by grace we might hear those words well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord thank you we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads information about what we believe and details of our meeting times Go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.